gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty, wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Radio Gormagon. Tonight, we have with us the ecumenical Volgi. Hello. And Doc. Greetings and salutations. So, fellas, I think we were kicking around the idea of talking about the Olympics, which the 2020 Olympics in 2021 are taking place as we record. Now, uh, I, I've, I've been a little out of it. Is, is that something the Mandarin was messing with, like the time stream, and somehow the 2020 Olympics ended up now? Is that the story? Yeah, we pulled it forward through time. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I hope we're making money off it somehow. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm convinced that NBC printed all their material with 2020 on it, and they are insisting on using the 2020 logos to save money. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Japan either. I mean, the uh, Olympics are an event where <clears throat> usually it's a money loser for the country. Like when they, when all is said and done, you know, all, when you put in the bid and you do all of the upgrading the infrastructure and do all of these things, the amount of money that flows into a lot of these countries, um, they just don't, they don't turn a profit. And so I'm pretty sure that Japan figured out we will make $20 if we don't reprint all our materials, but we'll lose $10 million if we reprint everything with 2021. <laughs> I actually am not going to point at either NBC or Japan because as, as you know, craven and stupid as NBC is and, you know, as, as much as Japan is taking a, a colossal bath on this Olympics, no doubt, especially since there's, there are no spectators buying the stuff with 2020 printed on it. Um, I think it's, it is more likely the IOC because they probably hold all the licensing stuff. And if there's a more, you know, sleazy and craven bunch of money grubbers on earth than the International Olympic Committee, I don't know where it is. FIFA. FIFA. (laughs) There's probably some overlap between their, uh, their boards is my guess. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I do wonder sometimes, right. You always hear that talked about that the country is it's money loser for the city or the country or whatever that that's the host. But I wonder what parameters that's taken in, right. Part of me wonders if you studied it over a four or five year period, Right from the from the date of the Olympics forward, whether it helps generate additional tourism post Olympics, because now you've built up this infrastructure, you've made these improvements, the it's more viable for them to. Probably depends act. how you use the infrastructure, right? If you're like maybe Salt Lake City, and you're like, hey, we've added six world class ski amenities within a fifty mile radius, then you probably would derive you know long term revenue from it. But if it's like Oh, we built a velodrome here in Rio. Eh, I mean, is that is that really going to make you back the money? I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I've been paying a lot of attention to you know some of the bids in some of the cities, and we're having our third Olympics in Los Angeles in 2028. Um, and the nice thing about the Olympics in Los Angeles is that they um, used a lot of the existing infrastructure they had and upgraded it. Um, you know, they maybe they added some buildings that some of the universities use. Uh, I know Georgia Tech's dorms were part of the Olympic Village for Atlanta. So, um, so, so LA was one of the ones that was definitely a, a money maker. 
And the other thing is that, you know, putting butts in seats, um, you know, in America, we fill the seats at the Olympics, but at a lot of other, a lot of other countries, I mean, they're not filling those seats. I mean, I remember Greece, it was pretty bad with regard to ticket sales in 2004. And, um, you know, it was almost embarrassing how empty some of those arenas were. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the plan is, um, you know, is this going to be space that's going to be continued to be used in the future? Um, um, or is or simply can you do it by upgrading? And our, I think our bid's going to be pretty successful as far as not being a money loser in LA, because like I said, most of the stuff's already there. Some of it, some of the money's going into upgrading it. Tickets are going to sell. Um, TV ratings are going to be high because, you know, most of the events are going to be able to be shown live because they're in our time zone. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things. And I, I actually went to Barcelona in 1992. Um, and so Barcelona, I think was probably one of the most successfully held games, um, especially for a venue, a, a place that they had to build everything there. Uh, you know, so they built uh, in one section of town, uh, a new arena that was absolutely gorgeous. And the um, Olympic Stadium was right next to it. And I don't know how much they use those spaces now, but they, but I mean, they seemed like pretty reasonable ads to a city that didn't seem to have, you know, too much as far as structure there. But then, you know, the way that they laid out where they were having events, uh, the, the gym that they were using for basketball uh, was on the other side of town. And it was probably, I think it was where Barcelona's basketball team played. And even though the dream team was playing there, I mean, it was still like a 30, 40,000 seat arena. They didn't say, oh my gosh, well, it's the dream team. You know, we're going to have to have, you know, you know, 70 or 80,000 seats. Um, but they also did some things that were flexible. Um, so the, the pools um, that they used for swimming and diving were going to be used as municipal pools afterwards, really nice municipal pools. And uh, they had, you know, good seating um, for something that you would expect, you know, Barcelona to use for, you know, local swimming, swim meets and things like that. But then for the actual Olympics, they built two or three levels of temporary bleachers behind the stone, the stone bleachers that were built in place. Uh, and it, it overlooked the city and it was, it was really, it was really lovely. But so, yeah. um, so they were able to actually put together a combination of using space and uh, building some new space that would be repurposed and continue to be used. So, um, and their transportation system was already excellent. So getting around from venue to venue using their subways and trains was, you know, a piece of cake. Yeah. I know in Atlanta for part of it, like Georgia Tech's pool was used for the natatorium and they extended it, right. They built it out to be an Olympic sized pool. Um, right. So it's 50 meter length and, you know, the right number of lanes and the warm up pools and all of that. And then after the Olympics, they essentially cut it back down um, because they didn't want to have the cost of having to maintain all those facilities. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I know you, I mean, I think you can make money off of it. Um, if I remember right, Peter Uberoth in Los Angeles in 84 did a very good job. And a lot of it was like, as um, Doc was describing in terms of um, using existing facilities, upgrading them, you know, something like the Rose Bowl, for example, I think they used it for the opening and closing ceremonies, the, you know, the track and field stuff, all that. And, you know, and obviously that's been there since whatever the 1920s or 
something. Um, it was used for the previous Olympics in 32 as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and I think right uh, now, I'm sure there's, if, if I bothered to prepare a lick for this uh, thing, I'm sure there's <laughs> Harvard Business Review articles talking about, you know, exactly, you know, how various Olympics have made and lost money over the last century. But, um, you know, I, I know uh, Romney supposedly, Mitt Romney, when he was named head of the Seattle Olympic Committee, they were having real, not Seattle, excuse me, Salt Lake City. They were having real money problems and he, you know, went in and did the consultant thing and turned it around and, and they ended up in the black. So uh, it can be done. Um, but like, you know, did Rio? I don't know. They, that didn't seem to be a, you know, super well-managed uh, thing, you know, judging from the, the pool turning various colors and the pollution in the open water swimming areas and, and things like that. It didn't seem like they had the firmest hand on things. So I, I kind of wonder if their accounting was also a little slipshod. Yeah, but also it was the first time it was in a South American uh, country. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. know a lot about South America, but I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, it was, it was not like it was, um, you know, it's the most organized place on the planet. So, yeah, I'll be glad just to have and and like have the Olympics in our relative time zones. Like the, I mean, I guess we had Rio, which was more or less in our time zone. Um, but it's just felt like for a while it's been so offset that, you know, you hear about events and you get essentially, you know, what the results are before they kind of air just because of your schedule and everything. So right. not that I super mind that, but it is, it is nice to watch them live. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. But the, but the spoilers um, plays a nice, has played a nice foil to um, NBC's packaged coverage. Like the mm -hmm. way that they try to make it feel like it's happening in real time. I mean, and, and when they kind of splice together, you know, it, with the gymnastics uh, a few years ago, they had a couple of times where it was like people who aren't even in the same event, you know, and they splice it like they're going head to head. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of, well, okay, well, the Russians were doing their thing in the morning and then the Americans were in the afternoon and, or something like that. And, uh, but they make it look like they're like going back to back or, something like that. Um, but I mean, I, I've been watching it a lot this year. Um, and I'll be honest, I mean, I, like everyone else, I hate, 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 hate NBC coverage, which is why I was grateful to be in Barcelona in 92. So I didn't have to watch it. Uh, but this year, honestly, they've done a better job than in years past. Is it, is it great? No. Do I want to choke the woman at the swimming venue who like asked everyone why they sucked and came in second place? No. I mean, I, that was awful, but their coverage, they have improved. They've had a lot less hand-wringing and maudlin, you know, emotional stuff. Um, and they've had more sports and more different sports. I mean, we were watching archery. We were watching some shooting. We were watching uh, fencing, uh, equestrian, and uh, really enjoyed the fact that they were putting this stuff on TV. Uh, there was a good gripping table tennis match. Uh, so, what, but, so it hasn't been as bad as it had been in years past. Uh, but the problem is, is because they have a monopoly on coverage, they, you know, made these drunken sailor bids and they have enough cash on hand to continue making them year in and year out. You know, we're not going to see what Fox can do, Fox Sports can do. And Fox Sports has been pretty innovative with sports coverage for things that they've had access to. Um, and then, you know, and CBS always did a wonderful job with the winter games and then, uh, I miss the good old days of Howard Cosell and Jim McKay with ABC back 
in this early, in the seventies when they were the ones doing the Olympics. So I'll yeah, and, and, and ABC would have the assets of ESPN these days. So you know, they there there are other people, but as you say, I don't know that we'll ever see anything other than NBC. But I I, I tend to agree with you that the coverage this year has been better. Um, in some ways, it's been a little less overblown. I think, um, uh, you know, and some, and I don't know whether some of that is, you know, Mike Tirico as their main host is just a little more low key and genial than Bob Costas, who, you know, seems to endow anything he's tasting. You know, he would endow his lunch order with gravity and drama and historicity. Um, where, where Tirico is, he's, you know, he's just, you know, a little bit lighter. Um, but I think I think you're right about the editing um, of the segments and, and showing more sports. Uh, they've they've definitely improved that. The the packages on the background of some of the athletes have mostly been interesting. Um, they still don't have enough about you know interesting athletes from other countries, but they've I've seen one or two you know mostly Canadians or things like that. But um, uh, yeah, I mean I, I I'd give them a you know a C plus you know um, whereas most years I'm. They're happy to flush them. They're, you know, they're a mess. I totally agree. Uh, like, I want to foot stomp the, the Mike Tirico part. I think Tirico is fabulous. Like, Mrs. G is a huge swim buff, right? She swam in high school um, and growing up. And uh, so swimming sports, even the time trials were on in our house. And Tirico and um, Rowdy Gaines were the ones covering it. And fabulous coverage. I mean, they knock it out of the park as far as coverage they keep it to the point they throw in little bits and pieces of color if you will here and there uh they put everything in context and kind of give you the the picture like with historical things and why things changed or you know if the the strokes have evolved over time things like that um yeah i'm not i'm not a swimming guy particularly um in terms of being knowledgeable and I, i i had the same impression you did particularly you know i thought rowdy Gaines obviously gets very worked up just about the sport and about um some of the individuals in it who he probably knows very well because i'm guessing it's a very small and insular world at the top level of swimming but it's called uh, swim cest for a reason there you go and he's, but he uh he, he's very good as you said about contextualizing stuff for the layperson, you know uh which in this case is me i you know I know a little bit about swimming. Some of my relatives were on swim teams and things like that, but um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not deep in. So, and I, I've appreciated the coverage and felt like I came away with a little more knowledge than when I went in, which is pretty much all I want, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that and some exciting races. So, and, and there have been some. Yeah. And I had to jump on pewter. I mean, this is no surprise to you two, but maybe to fill in our listeners a little bit, but on Twitter, he's always up for bashing the Olympics and, bashing a lot of stuff but bashing anything anything that and, right uh and and look one day he's sitting there praising it and the next day then he's bashing it and and he was complaining about the the kind of the fluff pieces right the backstories on some of the athletes there was a great one on one of our swimmers i'm blanking on which one it was where she was one it was a it was a uh, a piece that was assembled and she was narrating it herself kind of walking through a, like what her life was leading up to the Olympic time trials. And she shut down for like, she didn't have the option to do the training um, when COVID first hit. Um, 
and she walked through what that was like for her and then trying to get back into swim form and all. I thought it was really interesting. It was short, like it didn't drone on. You didn't feel like it was slow or anything. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah and even some ones that are a little more conventional, like, um, you know, Suni Lee uh, out of St. Paul, the all-around gold medalist, um, was neat. I mean, in the sense that you're like, hey, folks, look, this is a working-class Hmong girl, um, you know, who's now the world's reigning sparkly bouncy princess um and you know and and honestly maybe the most famous Hmong person ever at this point um you know and boy well that's talk about with and they didn't harp on it but boy what an american story that is yeah no absolutely and it was uh, i mean it was exciting that you know some of these uh gymnasts that you didn't expect to hear anything from um had an opportunity to step up and did um when uh, simone biles stepped uh stepped down um, so I really felt bad for her, uh, with that, when that situation came up, because I mean, we're, my wife loves gymnastics. So we watch a lot of the gymnastics and we have the trials on for that, just like we do for sw swimming and like, uh, court does for swimming as well. And, um, you know, I mean, she was fine. Simone Biles was fine at the trials. And then you know, she just didn't, she just didn't look right in the, um, in the uh, prelims at the Olympics. And I mean, it wasn't just, oh, I stepped out of bounds or I did this or I did that. Um, you know, I mean, it might just be, you know, my physician's eye, but I mean, it was just like something was up. And then when she, you know, stepped down and like people were like all getting bent out of shape, I'm like, leave the poor girl alone. I mean, you know, something's not right. And, you know, when you're trying to do a triple spinny, flippy thingy, you know, you can break your neck <laughs> if you're not on. So it's like, Leave, leave her alone, you know? you know? That's why they have like alternates and they have plan Bs and contingencies in these situations. So, you know. Yeah, I thought I thought Biles got a, a, a raw deal from a lot of, you know, portions of, oh, you know, you're a quitter or you're this, that. You're like, well, you know what? Hey, at the end of the day, this is a sport. And, yeah. um, you know, is there any sport that it's worth potentially killing yourself for? I, I vote no, um, you know, and it's just, you know, it's it's not even you know, what's her name, um, uh, Carrie Strug with her with her bad foot. You know, if you want to if you want to risk a, a wrecked knee or a you know broken ankle or something like that, you know what? That's uh, whether she should have done it or not. I don't know, but that she did. I, I I wasn't you know grossly like oh that's terrible. I mean, yeah, it's like a, a, a Robert Griffith the third for the uh, for, team formerly known as the Redskins going out on his bad knee in a playoff game, getting hit again in his knee and wrecking his knee and probably his career. Um, you know, you're like, okay. I mean, that's a risk that you take and you know, you take the, whatever comes out of it. But in terms of like trying to do a vault when you don't have, when you've got something like vertigo or the inability to orient yourself in the air, um, that's potentially lethal. And, and that's, that's crazy. I mean, that to me, it's more like the situation of like, Oh, Hey, I've got labyrinthitis. I, I think maybe I should take my Cessna up today. Cause I told people at my airplane club that I would, no, shouldn't, you could die. <laughs> um, and so I, I thought she got a, a, a hard knock from some quarters, but I think most people basically came to understand that, no, no, this is a, a phenomenon, a lot like, you know, the yips, for a baseball player or a golfer where all of a sudden your brain and body are just not in sync. And 
you know, I, I, I appreciated too that that was explained pretty quickly in, in both online and um, on the TV coverage um, by people so that they could, you know, get that out that, that this is a, a known condition that affects people at various points. It can go away, it can come back, you know, you never know. Um, and uh, so I, I was, um, I was happy to see her step down as she did. And even, you know, that she came back and picked up a bronze. Um, you know, I, I thought that was neat and probably, you know, made her uh, Olympics a little more, you know, feeling good for her. But and to your point, uh, Doc, that when it cleared the ways for some lesser known people um, and didn't, you know, because I'm sure if had she gone, the coverage would have been heavily monopolized by her because again, she's, she's Michael Jordan. Um, but to have a little extra room to see some lesser known people do some neat stuff. I, I thought that was pretty cool as it worked out. I mean, I, I wasn't upset that she didn't compete at all. Yeah. yeah. Arguably I would say that she did the right thing, right? She made a team yeah. call, right? She positioned the American team in a better way by stepping down because she was potentially going to be, she felt like she wasn't going to score well right. and potentially okay. dangerously. So I think she knew, you know, she right. Yeah. Right. And so she stepped out knowing that we have alternates. I mean, this is kind of why we have alternates on that team is in case somebody does get injured or has an issue like this, they can step in and perform for the team. Yeah. And then she tried coming back for the individuals. It's not like yeah. she didn't. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't one event. So, I mean, and the only, the only thing I, the, the frame, one framing of it that, I thought was a little bit cloying and annoying was people talking about it as, Oh, it's a mental health issue, which seems a little broad. And it's, a, it, this is a very specific sort of, you know, brain body issue. And yeah, I guess you could call it a mental health issue, but you know, when people first started saying that it was kind of like, Oh, you know, she's having an attack of depression or something else like that. Now that's a whole different story um, and a whole different conversation um, you know, as opposed to, you know, she's having disorientation, you know, problems when she's airborne that the, you know, it's, I think you could say it's a brain problem, but whether it's a mental problem, I, 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 I didn't like the framing. Right. <clears throat> no, I mean, that's true. But I mean, I think there was also, I mean, some of the more recent articles in the last day or so, um, there was some discussion of, you know, maybe a little bit of PTSD or triggering from, you know, from some of her past traumas at the, and then she also, she lost like a loved one recently too. Um, and just, so some of that might've just kind of well, hit. I mean, and she kind of yeah. hinted around the edges of that on like her, her like social media too. I, but, she, she also has a brother or a half brother or something who's had some like serious legal issues. Like he was being indicted for, and then I think he got off um, like on, murder charges or something there was a shooting at a party and he was there and they thought maybe he was the guy with the gun and um but i don't i, I think ultimately the, there were no charges pressed against him but i can't imagine if if and i don't i have no idea what their family circumstances are like but if she were at all close to him what what a huge source of stress that would be yeah yeah and it's, it's those kind of things that kind of led to the twisties from what it sounds like and that was one of the other things about having better coverage this year was that um, Nastia Lukin um, covering the gymnastics along with Tim Daggett, one has improved his game because he was always a negative Nelly because he was living back in 1984. 
And uh, back in 1984, when we didn't have any Eastern Bloc countries, we were able to kick everyone's butt, you know, and now these guys can't kick by the Eastern Bloc countries I never had to face. And, you know, and uh, and he and Elke Schlegel fed on each other in that way. But um, I think that the coverage, again, you know, having, you know, Nasty Lucan with them it helped, has helped them a little bit. So well, in that regard. Yeah. And to put it in context, right, we're talking about the contract. NBC did sign a almost eight billion dollar contract to, and they have the Olympics through 2032. So we're going to have them here for the next couple before I'm going to die with NBC coverage. (laughs) It might cause you to die. It might. Um, Maybe to pivot a little on topics around the Olympics, here's one that Mrs. G and I both get spun up about. Um, Right. So we all know about uh, the Russian athletes with the serious doping charges. Um, and the decision that they can't compete under the Russian flag and, and the Russian name, I would argue that they essentially did it anyway. Um, the fact that they were allowed to be called the Russian Olympic Committee and, and then all of NBC's coverage referred to them as the Russians. So really nothing changed, I would argue. Like, I think, and I posted this on Twitter towards the beginning of the Olympics, I think they should have been banned from any team sports so you can't refer to them as the Russian team and then, and allow the individual athletes to compete. And then, uh, and no, they should be back to the other ones that have happened in the past where it was the international Olympic committee or like take the name completely out. So I don't know if you guys have a strong feeling about it. Mine, I know the team sport thing is a bit extreme because you are, penalizing a lot of people in that sense for that might not have been involved in the doping but well well here's the thing i think you may be overreacting see i mean normally they would be wearing red warm-up suits with blue and white (laughs) trim and now they're wearing white warm-up suits with red and blue trim so i mean clearly it's a whole different thing Uh, i I take it back i've been corrected It's completely no, I mean, I, different. I, I think you're right. And I mean, and honestly, if they had wanted to not allow any Russian athletes to compete, um, the nature of the Russian doping program was so comprehensive and so l- literally set up, you know, passing samples through a hole in the wall um, in Sochi uh, at the Olympics they were hosting. Um, the IOC would have, I, to my mind, had every right to ban Russia indefinitely until such time as, you know, of course the IOC. So it's until such time as they back up, you know, a U-Haul full of uh, Swiss francs and, uh, you know, buy their way back in. But um, no, I, I, I don't think they suffered much penalty at all. Um, and, uh, and again, you feel for an athlete, if there is an athlete who's not, you know, reaping the benefits of doping. And that's a, that's a tough question. Um, but you know, you, so you would feel for those athletes, but on the other hand, um, if you really want to make an effective statement, you've got to take action against the whole national program, you know, one way or the other. So no, I got to agree with the bulgy on this. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, if you really want to try to stamp this stuff out, you, uh, you give a, you give a country the death penalty, you know, you don't, you don't go to this, the Olympics this year, you can come back and four years, but we'll, we have to do some, some sort of check or whatever. I think the problem is, is when you're going up against Putin, you might find some polonium in your tea. And, you know, I mean, no one cares if they ban the American team. I mean, we're like going to just go, Oh, shucks. That's not cool. But, you know, but they're, but they'll get pretty butthurt if, uh, if it's, um, 
if it's if the Russians. I mean, they're they're not a they're not a kind people in that regard. They uh, their government. Well, yeah, I mean, and 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 to be fair, it's not like it's just the Russians doing this. I no. Mean, um, you know, with, there have been American athletes, Marion Jones, famously. Remember, she was it two thousand. She was like all over the Olympics because she was this track and field god. Well, and it turned out she'd been doping her mind out. So um, she's kind of gone down the memory hole. But um, you know, I, I remember, gosh, was it two Olympics? Maybe the one before. Maybe it was the one before Rio, um, when all of a sudden, like every running podium was three Jamaicans. And you're like, hmm, that's weird that that little small country all of a sudden is, you know, when it, now again, Jamaicans are good runners. And uh, Hussein Bolt, who, you know, is whether he doped or not, I mean, he's clearly the, one of the greatest sprinters ever lived, if not the greatest. Um, and, you know, and you're like, well, at his build and everything else, you know, if he were doping, would it help that much or, you know, or not? But either way, um, you know, when you look and you see that, like, um, you know, until this Olympics, anybody who had ever run faster than a 982 in um, the men's 100 meters, except Usain Bolt, um, was eventually busted for steroid use, you know, or, or doping in some fashion. And, you know, Ben Johnson. Right. Yeah. Well, ben, yeah. Ben Johnson and um, was the other guy in the same race with them, right? Uh, Canadian guy. Anyway, I, anyway, but yeah, so it, it, it so it's, I, I, I don't think it's a, a problem that um, is, is isolated. The Russians were just particularly scaled up and, and shameless. I mean, I thought it was curious that a Chinese guy snuck into the uh, 100 meter men's sprint final. Um, a, a ripped Chinese guy who has a very prominent jawbone and kind of very, you know, Bond's brow, um, you know, I would not be shocked at all if the Chinese were essentially doing what the Russians did. Um, you know, just maybe a little subtler. Um, they won some medals in weightlifting. 20% of their gold medals are in weightlifting. Yeah, right. And, Which, and I mean, and I'm looking at the guys that are, um, that are winning. And I mean, they are lean. I mean, they're muscular, 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 but they, and they're ripped, but they look like freaking Captain America. I mean, they don't look like, you know, some of these weightlifters who look like the blob, you know? Right. Your traditional Bulgarian weightlifter, you know, is right. some guy with a pot belly and tiny little arms and short legs and just, you know, hefting up refrigerators over his head, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I agree. So I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a problem throughout a lot of sports, um, you know, things like cycling and, and weightlifting and, and running, I mean, are sort of the most obvious, but I'm guessing there are corners to be cut almost anywhere. And I, I, in some ways, I feel some sympathy for the IOC, which is something I don't normally say, in the sense of what do you do, ultimately, if, if it's that universal, and um, if it's that relatively easy to skate by with, you know, um, you know, uh, and, and like this year, particularly, I, you know, I know with the track stuff, they've talked a lot about that they actually have a really fast track and that shoe technology also seems to be pushing the times up. Um, but on the other hand, the fact that you had this long layoff over the last year, um, you know, seems to me would be a good time if you were trying to get, you know, bulked for something, you do your doping during your, <laughs> your layoff for a long time, then get, you've got plenty of time to get clean. And you just try and maintain whatever mass or whatever or whatever it is that you've built up um, using, you know, the chemistry. So, I don't know. I it's a it, 
it's a tough thing and it's not something I think that's going to be easily extractable from sports. And also, I mean, if it's programmatic versus if it's the individual, I mean, like the problem with Marion Jones was Marion Jones. Agreed. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, sometimes there are certain sports where there's like a few people go to the same doctor and that doctor's the one that's like the doc, the, the guy who's getting them all juiced up and all that sort of thing. And it's like, it's like a small network, but um, you know, I mean, I think when a, you know, a country has, you know, a more of a programmatic one is probably where that death penalty should be given to the whole thing. But, you know, if it's just individuals that get caught, they get caught. I heard, I heard an interesting rumor and, and unsubstantiated. So, you know, I, I, I don't put anything behind this because I don't know, I don't follow track and field closely at all. So I don't know anything about the personalities involved or whatever. But one of the things was the woman who was disqualified, she was a, a sprinter, who was disqualified uh, supposedly for smoking pot after her mom died or something like that. Um, but she apparently, I mean, if you look at her, she's, she's suspiciously ripped, but her husband, I think is a convicted, uh, you know, cheater. Um, her coach is a convicted cheater in terms of using doping and stuff like that. Some people were saying, and I, again, can't, I'm, you know, spreading unsubstantiated gossip here, but that in fact, it might've been, that might've been the way the team USA sidelined her because they were afraid she would get busted and really make the team look bad um, because she was, you know, within those circles notorious um, rather than, oh yeah, she smoked pot after her, her mom died. That, that was sort of the fig leaf that they used. Now, I don't know that that's true, but again, it does, it does point to like, God, if you even if you're the, you know a federation that wants to be honest, how do you police it? I mean, you know, uh, because people are people are really good at figuring out ways to get around it. I mean, look at Lance Armstrong, right? Yep. Uh, he he got he he never got busted busted until you know much later when other people finally roll on him. Yeah, you know. We should take a short but annoying break to replay the same car commercial with. I'm Crazy Hubbard Whitfield. Come on down to Crazy Hubbard's used car lot. We've got prices slashing down from 2004s to 1989 models. Come on down here. You got to see these cars. We got Chevys. We got Fords. We got Daewoo. We got trucks like this nice Nissan Titan right here. Get yourself in one. Drive it home. Your wife's going to love it. Bring everybody you know and come on out here. Ask for my wife too. She's cooking a pot of beans and she'll love to serve some to you. So come on down and we'll get you straight. We got Jeeps. We got anything you'd like to get your behind in, I'll tell you right now. Get yourself behind one of these steering wheels. She drives like a dream. I drove them all myself. Now come on down. Crazy hubs. Get you a car. Hold on, folks. We're not done yet. We got a special offer for you today. If you get down here, I will give you a basket and you can go out with my personal bean patch and fill that basket up with beans you can take home with you tonight. We got Mazdas. We got Suzuki. Beans. Get off that couch you're sitting on and drive yourself on down over here in that crazy bucket of bolts you've been driving. And come on over here, we'll get you in a brand new Kia Sportage today. I got so many cars here, I don't know what to do with them. That's why we're slashing prices left and right. Here at Crazy Hubs, cars, trucks, and crazy little sporty motorbikes. We got vans. We got red Nissans. We got white Nissans. So come on down to Crazy Hubs. It's right behind my house. But down by Tankard's Nursery, take a left by I-64. People say I'm full of beans. Beans? They may be right, but I know 
best price in town, come on down to Crazy Hubs. We got beans! So I'm going to pivot to some of the newer and different sports, but I'll start off by by noting, and I don't know how much to really attribute this to NBC and, and any sort of socio-political kind of bent, but it was really cool, I think, to see some of the American shooters win gold, um, right? And there was a army lieutenant who she won her event. And um, it's really, I think they're really missing out by not having like a detailed segment around the shooting sports and kind of explaining them. I cannot remember any coverage ever going through and explaining what trap is and and what the different events are in the shooting, you know, match pistol and air rifle and the different events. I will credit NBC this year that they've given at least a little bit of airtime to it. Um, they've shown clip highlights of the event in prime time, which, you know, kudos, but, but, you know, they never get kind of the details of, how does the sport work? How, what's the competition? Is it is it some sort of ladder system that you have to compete in around Robin? Like, how does it work? And I couldn't tell you because, well, I could tell you because I've looked it up and I've done the research. But if you watch the coverage on TV, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, to Saturday, last week, I was watching the air rifle competition and they actually had coverage on um, NBC, NBC Sport or like sports network or whatever it's like whatever the cable channel is it wasn't on um usa network usa network was all beach volleyball butts um but uh the uh but the air rifle coverage and and they did kind of explain the scoring systems a little bit to it and i mean they spent more time on archery coverage than they did on uh air rifle but they did do a decent job especially given that there was you know, one American gold medalist in the men's, but they were covering the women's, which was a couple, it was uh, Russia versus, there was a shoot-off, a very exciting shoot-off between South Korea and Russia for one of the last spots um, in the, of like the top three. And uh, that was like riveting and they were explaining the rules of that. So, I mean, they dipped their toe in it a little bit. Um, and if they're smart, uh, sorry. Readers, please note that Volgi has turned to research material. You're in trouble. Go actually, ahead, Doc. Sorry. So, this, so actually, they, actually, what I pulled out is completely irrelevant to <laughs> what we're talking about. But somebody asked me a question, and I was like, "Oh, that book's sitting right here. I should make sure I have it." Awesome. Anyway, <laughs> Doc, you were saying. Sorry about that, everybody. I got distracted by the uh, Ottoman adult content that is uh, the Ottoman erotica that the Volgi's reading. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what I'm reading. It's whoo, hot stuff. Yeah. No, no, no. What I was saying was, I think, I think it was good that they were at least beginning to dip their toe. And if they're smart, as you said, um, there are whole swaths of you know flyover country that would love to watch not only Americans win some of the gold medals that were actually winning and the the events that actually get them there, uh, but also, you know, we're interested in shooting. We would find that a lot of fun to watch. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I want to um, say that Gort is right in that, um, you know, NBC has actually done a better job than in the past, but they're still not doing really a good job because, right. you know, again, uh, there's a huge shooting subculture in the United States. I mean, and I don't mean this in the sense of like, you know, oh yeah, they're crazy gun fondling mania. I mean, I mean, people who actually go out and shoot targets and uh, trap and skeet and all that sort of stuff. 
And there, it strikes me that NBC is leaving money on the table by not putting this stuff on because I think they would get good ratings. And especially um, to Gord's point, if they had good explainer package for people who don't know the sports and who do, and who aren't familiar with shooting, um, you know, it's neat. I mean, it, and it seems like those are sports that you could cover um, much like they did with uh, some of the archery and things like that, where you can really spend a little time talking not just about you know the sport and the the thing that's going on but the individuals involved um and hey this guy he's from such and such a place and you know the, here's his backstory or whatever like um i was watching one of the shotgun things and the guy who won the bronze medal was a kuwaiti and um i forget it's like 40 something years old if i remember right but apparently everybody loves the guy in the sport and he, he seemed like a terrific guy and he was you know the first person in congratulating the guys who beat him and um, just seemed like a, a, a marvelous guy. And you think there, there's a little package that they could have done, you know, because if this guy's been in the sport for 20 something years at a high level um, and he's got a great personality, um, you know, who doesn't want to see that? So, um, you know, and, and also you came away kind of wanting to know a little more about not just the Americans, but even some of their competitors. Um, one of the women uh, shotgunners was a Slovakian woman who had, skipped the Rio Olympics uh, because she had a baby. And, you know, and you thought there's probably a, a fun human interest story there. You know, they could have had, you know, her and the cute baby who's now, you know, five or what have you, um, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, I, and the nature of it is such that, you know, it's not, I mean, it goes back and forth pretty quickly, but you could easily, you know, break it up with a little bit of, you know, conversation and talking the, the the one announcer who did a lot of the shooting events was very excitable um and i i was not as huge a fan of that aspect of the the coverage but it was one of those things where you know it's a small sport it's a small world and you kind of get that as you said swim sassed kind of feeling of like oh well they all know everybody um but they didn't do as good a job of bringing you into the world as say rowdy Gaines has done this olympics yeah one of the other neat things that um NBC was taking advantage of uh, with this go around uh, with the with the television technology. So just by way of background, you know, as I said earlier, I'd gone to Barcelona in 92. My dad was uh, very ill. He passed away that year, not long after the Olympics was over, actually, about a few months. But uh, when I went to Barcelona, NBC had this thing called the triple cast. And I'm not sure if people remember the triple cast. And so if you had cable, yep. you could pay, I don't know what the hell it was, like 100 bucks. And you could have three dedicated channels of Olympics on top of whatever NBC was already doing. And so what my dad did was he did that, bought that package to be with me virtually, which was kind of a, a neat thing. Cause like there was, I, I traded a couple of tickets. And so like when I called him from, from Barcelona, he was like, so what'd you think of that cycling race? It's like, uh, I traded it for two baseball tickets and my friend Eagle and I went to baseball. <laughs> and he's like, what? I watched cycling and you were in baseball. You know, but it was it was it was a pretty neat idea. It was overpriced at the time and it wasn't really tapped into. But what they did this year is they had um, on their website, um, the NBC Olympics, you can find any event and just, you know, it's it's archived and you can watch it <clears throat> I, or you can watch it live. And my daughter's friend. Alex was swimming in the uh, 200 uh, individual medley um, and got silver, but uh, the heat was at like six in the morning or five in the morning. And so, you know, my wife and I got up, 
kids got up and then I plugged, put it on the computer and then we have a smart TV. So I could just, you know, you know, put what was on my computer screen onto the TV screen. And so we were able to watch it that way. And so having that access to some of those events, I mean, it would take some effort, but you know, you know, we could find it. We could find the swimming if we want or the shooting if we wanted to and things like that. Um, but I think as the technology moves forward, I mean, I think we're going to be I mean, we, what we've talked about in TV in the past, moving away from cable and to more of these streaming services anyway. Um, I mean, I think that technology, maybe the next go around might be a little bit more tapped into so we could go to the shooting if we want to. Yep. I, uh, I used a lot of the web uh, schedule that NBC had, and I actually think the website is pretty well done where you can go through and you can find those clip packages, I would argue pretty easily. Uh, I watched, I watched the sailing event, which gets like zero coverage. Um, Cause I like sailing. Uh, it's a complete train wreck of a sport in the Olympics. I would argue that it shouldn't be, but okay. Um, there's other sports too that fall into that category. I will tell you too. Um, some of the stuff that made it for me though, was like uh, Lee Kiefer who won uh, foil gold, the American woman who won foil gold, her reaction was priceless. And then uh, Anastasia Zolotic, Z-O-L-O-T-I-C. She's the American woman who won the first ever gold in Taekwondo. Again, just an amazing thing to watch. And, and NBC did a good job in covering it in one of their clip packages one night. I had to go back on the website then and watch the actual match because I was so fascinated with the story that they teased up that it got me to go dig in and, and learn more, which I thought was great. So. Yeah. I, I think they're getting there um, in terms of, you know, having a really easy to navigate sort of universally available every event all the time. I think they're getting there. Um, the, the way they've got it set up across their various TV channels, they seem to be, dividing the blocks a little more sensibly instead of just sort of having giant melanges where they flip back and forth between a bunch of sports. Um, so, you know, not only can you do that, but with, you know, a DVR or something, you can go through and pick. And um, I think the cable systems, DirecTV, usually have a little bit of even of an interface that you can use to find, well, what events are tomorrow? And then just say, okay, I want to tape these three tomorrow or what, you know, where can I show me fencing events and you, you pull up the fencing. Um, so I, I think they're getting there. And I mean, the, as you say, the website's quite good. Um, they've got a section on Peacock, their streaming service, where you can pull up little clips, highlight, mostly highlight clips. There's, they don't have whole events that I've found. Um, but like, you know, if you want to see Bobby Fink's you know, last 50 of the 1500, they've got a little highlight of that. You can just, you know, you know, instead of watching Netflix, just go to Peacock and, you know, pop that up. Um, and so, I mean, it's not perfect, but I, I think they're getting there. Yep. What do you guys, uh, I know we're, we're probably running up towards the end of the episode here. Um, what do you think about some of the new sports? Have you guys caught any of it? I watched uh, through the streaming service. I watched a little of the BMX motocross, um, Actually, the one extremely dangerous. I was unaware of like how likely you were to get paralyzed or killed doing that. That was ing- that was the guy in the crash is in the hospital with a brain bleed. Yeah, 
Definitely. And I mean, and the little highlight package they showed even before those races was the woman whose yep. Australian husband is permanently in a wheelchair from crashing, you know, and yep. uh, the there was a woman from boy, was she just I think she's Australian who was in a crash. She was fine, walked away. But her brother is apparently long term disabled mm. um, based on being in a similar crash at some point in the past. So, yeah, so I, I was unaware of just what a really dangerous sport that is um it was it was interesting enough to watch i i don't know that it was like you know i was riveted to the extent that i ended up being like yikes i hope nobody gets killed um but it was i mean it, it was it was pretty fun i mean to um, look and i i like i tend to like the winter olympics a little bit more and i loved when they added the similar event for the snowboard uh and I think they might do it with the skiing as well, but the snowboard cross um, is just crazy to see the four four competitors go down together on a on a course like that. And so they add they did the BMX one, and then I watched the BMX uh, artistic or whatever it is. Yeah, did they have yeah. a skateboard race? Did they have a skateboard racing? Because I mean, I was watching the skateboard, the freestyle skateboard. And the I haven't freestyle, seen um, BMX. I watched those two, and I mean, those were pretty wild. Uh, I don't, I don't think these were skateboard racing. I think there were there were at least two. One which I watched it was the first skateboarding thing they had. I can't remember exactly what they called it. It was surprisingly dull. Um, and then the second one they had was that they called it parked as a discipline, and it was guys going around a skate park and jumping and flipping, doing all the third of things you would expect of a skateboard thing. And that was that was a little more interesting. Yeah, um, it was the park one that I watched. Yeah, that that was that was the one more worth watching. Whatever the first one was, called Street or something. Street, I Street. Yeah. yeah, that was surprisingly dull. I, I thought, boy, this is not, you know, because I, I thought, oh, skateboarding, it'll be fast and it'll be, you know, sort of goofy X Games, whatever. But um, it it was not good TV. I was I was disappointed in in, in that as entertainment. I mean, I, you know, I impressed by what they do, and I couldn't do it. But uh, as uh, as a sporting event it was kind of like eh. i mean and you know and, and judge sports in general are, are less my favorite so i did catch uh i haven't sorry i haven't yet caught any of the competitive climbing events which i think could be interesting yeah. i do like the slalom kayak i always think that's just fascinating just oh, because that's crazy the power of water is people just don't understand and what they can do in a kayak is just crazy. It's so. When they're reversing and, you know, going mm -hmm. backwards and, you know, wow. And I actually kind of like the uh, canoe racing that was just, I think I just saw it last night. Um, yeah. But the 19-year-old uh, from Seattle who uh, won the women's 200 sprint or something like that. And uh, that, that, that was that was pretty neat. I mean, I, I don't mind rowing and those kind of things. They're, they're fine. But the uh, the canoe sprint, it's, it's more obviously you know, engaging as athletic because you've got this one person, you know, I think there's a the two, two man version as well. There is we have a couple people and they're just, you know, digging at it, digging at it. It's, and it's a little more obvious the effort and the um, thing than, you know, that everybody in the normal crew boat pulling um, together, which I mean, obviously that's a, that's a ton of a uh, ton of work. And I was uh, um, proud to say there's somebody actually from the town I live in who was in the, one of the women's Olympic rowing teams. So Cool. Well, maybe to wrap up, uh, 
you guys looking forward to the 2022 Olympics? We only have to wait a year. I like you. I, like, I tend to like the winner better. So yeah, I mean, especially if they get the uh, pro hockey players, those are always really high quality tournaments. Um, you know, with on the big ice with a little more room uh, to operate and stuff. Uh, and the goalies not being quite as familiar with the angles. Um, they, they tend to be pretty exciting. It'll be interesting to see how Beijing handles winter games. I'm not really familiar with the geography of uh, Beijing and what, you know, what, what the weather's like in the winter, but you know, I mean, most of the stuff's indoors anyway, um, other than the skiing and the, uh, and the sledding. Uh, so yeah, I'm yeah, not sure where they're going to do the skiing. I mean, I, Beijing is cold, but I, I, I don't think it's got any really high mountains nearby. So it might be they, they do it, you know, uh, some other Winter Olympics have done sort of remote Maybe locations. Maybe they'll build artificial mountains out of like, you know, dead people. So well, you just well, kill a bunch of people and you yeah. just build their bodies or something. It's China. I will say I did enjoy the three-on-three basketball much more than regular basketball. I, I did I, like the idea of mixed sports, the male-female competing together sports. I thought the swimming relay that was mixed up. Uh, the medley. Yeah, that was mixed. That medley. Was neat. I'm like, not only is it athletic, but there's some strategy to it of totally who you pick and from each one gender wise. And the Americans, by the way, screwed up. How so. would you, how would you, how would you have set it up coach? I would have followed what some of the other countries did and, and, let the uh the what was it we did man woman woman man and a lot of the other countries did the woman woman man man yeah. i think so we were we were out front at the beginning but then we lost so much in the middle that it was too much for the guy to take it home killed dressel maybe I think was yeah, it was Russell, yeah. He was close. But. He was close. He made up a lot of time, but we were too far behind. And that's exactly what Rowdy was saying. So interesting. Yeah, I don't know if the women sh- women should be doing the breaststroke for that one because that's like the slowest stroke, and so the amount of unit time difference. I mean, I'd have to go back and do the math, but I mean, I, I wonder if that one would be like if you if you had the women do the breaststroke, you would be having a bigger gap of time to make yeah. up. So, yeah, we, we were talking about this before the race. We're like, there's a lot of math you would want to do before setting up your squad, you know? Yep. Like, well, because it's what's the biggest difference both within the racers and the sexes and the event and the, you know, different strokes and stuff. Yeah. It's Money ball swim. Not so far. Yeah, totally. Right. Right. So, seven new sports for Beijing winner. Oh, really? The, the women's, the... women's monobob. Uh, freestyle skiing, big air, both men and women. Okay. Uh, mixed team events for freestyle skiing, aerials, ski jumping, and snowboard cross. And the mixed relay and the short track speed skating. Huh. Oh, that would be fun. It's going to yeah. be crazy. Yeah, short track's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and then it looks like in 20, uh, 2026, the winter games are going to be in Cortina. Oh, Cortina d'Ampezzo. Yeah. It's on my bucket list. I think I would like to go to an Olympics. I think you totally should. Just it, you'll pay for it. I'll warn you. You'll pay for it. But you totally, totally should go. It's 
it was it was a really neat experience. I would like to get a, like a time machine and go back to uh, like Lillehammer. That seemed like a gorgeous place and time and really well run Olympics. Yeah. Uh, well, excellent. I think we'll wrap up there, gentlemen. So was, I'm going uh, to ask the Mandarin if he's if he's you know freaking moving Olympics around. Maybe he can move me back to the '94. Uh, <laughs> you know. There you go. I always jump back. Yeah, and man, Mrs. Volgi's Norwegian, so, you know, or, or half at least, so, you know, we can get by. Excellent. Well, appreciate your time. Uh, I think this is a fun episode. I'll try to knock it together here pretty quick and get it on, Likewise, make on sure the site. Edit, edit it so we sound like we know what we're talking about and are entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I'll put the filter on. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, I'll see you. Court out. Good evening, gentlemen. Good night. Let's see. All right. Thanks.